0: At 9.05 uh, this evening, we received a call of a, uh, a shooting that had occurred at the church here on Calhoun Street. When officers arrived, uh, they found a number of victims inside, and we had uh, um, also individuals that were transported to the MUSC uh, Emergency Trauma Center.
1: We woke up today.
2: And the heart and soul of South Carolina was broken. And so we have some grieving too. And we've got some pain we have to go through.
3: Good morning. I want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet or maybe uh, in one of the venues uh, here at Long Point. We're glad that you're here too. I want to say to all the fathers, happy Father's Day. Uh, I hope you got the socks that you were uh, hoping for. Uh, socks are kind of cool though these days, so that's a, that's a good thing. Um, we were going to start a series um, today uh, called At the Movies, where we just kind of take a, a look at some of the current movies and where is God in it and culture and all of that. We're going to take a time out on that. Uh, we felt like it was important that we, we pause today and we reflect <clears throat> and take a look at, um, at, at what's happening uh, in our city. This week, as our governor uh, said, our hearts collectively The South Carolinians and especially as Charlestonians, our hearts were broken. On a Wednesday night, this Wednesday, a small group of people went to their church to pray. The evening ended with nine people dead, including some of their pastors. A congregation is left torn apart by the racist actions of a depraved gunman. And a community is shaken by the reality of evil among us. Uh, As this week started, I was in Montana uh, when I received word. I uh, was at a gathering of pastors. I was fly fishing. (laughs) I was expected to do fun things at night with the pastors and just kind of process stuff, but I caught fish and it was good. And we were, um, we were in a remote place where there wasn't television and there wasn't internet. And uh, it just so happened on Wednesday uh, that I was able to um, uh, bum some internet off of somebody. My phones wouldn't work anywhere. and Somebody had a phone that was connected, and I have an addiction. And I wanted to uh, know what's going on around the world. I've got to know that. And so, um, at about nine o'clock, um, this time, seven o'clock, that time, I got on the, I connected my phone through their phone, and within just a few minutes, my text started blowing up. That there's been a, um, there's been a, a, a killing, uh, and, and I, I thought, surely not in Charleston. No, it can't be in a church. I immediately texted the pastor of that church, not knowing that he was already gone. And we gathered around this little phone, the pastors that were there, and we began to pray. And I got on the next plane uh, to Charleston. Got here Thursday. I came back to a grieving city. We grieve We're angry, we're bewildered that such a heinous act could occur in a community that we love. We all have questions, how could this happen? Why did it happen? Some questions come at such a deep level that we're almost fearful to let them see the light of day because they challenge our faith and they ignite our fears. I'm there with you, I've had some questions this week from a very deep place. I love the scriptures. I love David. I, in times like this, I always turn to the Psalms. And the reason I like David is because he's real. He's gut-level honest. He, uh, he sometimes says things that other people wouldn't say. And he's been to the depths. He's been to the pit. And in Psalm 130 in verse one, it says, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And That's what we're going to do here today. We're, we're going to cry out to God. We grieve. We grieve for families who hurt from a place so deep it's hard to imagine. We grieve for innocence lost. Why here? Why now? Why so calculated? And we grieve for the destruction of all that is holy and sacred in a church. And in this church, in Mother Emmanuel AME. Why is it Mother Emmanuel? Because it's the Mother Church of many, many churches. You guys know church planting is, is on my heart. And it's a church that's so integral to the struggle of a people, a symbol of progress in a journey. Ugly journey at times toward freedom. It's in a place of safety from a dangerous world. It's in a place where the quiet solitudes of prayer was broken by the angry sounds of gunfire echoing off of sacred spaces and holy halls. Evil has visited us. We have felt the breath of hell. And we've come to seek the Lord Together. And that's what we're doing today across this city and in cities across our nation and around the world. I want to look at Psalm 142 and verses 1 through 7 as a context of, of what we're going to do. If you have a Bible, uh, you can read along. If not, um, you'll, you can uh, re- read on the screen. Psalm 142 and verse 1 says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. And then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. See, David is in this place of despair, and he has such a deep relationship with God. God is his friend, and he's able to complain to his friend. How do you know you need a friend like that? Most of us, you know, we, we have acquaintances. You have acquaintances here in this building today. Tomorrow, you'll go to work or school or wherever, and someone will come up to you and they'll say, How you doing? And what's your response? Great. Whether you are or not, and that's probably a good thing, people don't wanna hear all of your stuff in the grocery store, how do you know that? But you need somebody that you can just complain, that you can say things that you know you shouldn't say but you're gonna say because it's coming out of your heart and David has that with God. He, he said, I pour out my complaints to you. But then he says, But you are my refuge. You know, at times it feels like nobody has my back, but you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. And what I love is that in his deep despair, he has hope. There is coming a day when love will win, because mark it down, it always will. It always will. Love always wins. And he says, in that day, the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. I've seen that day. I've seen the righteous in Charleston, the black and the white, the rich and the poor, gathered around those whose spirit was faint because of the goodness of the Lord. And so today we're going to pause. We're going to pause for three things. Why not five? Because I always pause for three. <laughs> we're going to pause, first of all, to pray for the families that today are torn and broken. Psalm, again, 34 and verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves Those who are crushed in spirit. See, you will never understand the enormity of this verse until your heart has been broken and your spirit crushed. When you've sunk into such a place that darkness envelops your soul and like a light is snuffed out in a cavern of grief. And if you've ever been there, and I've been there, and our family has been there on multiple times... I don't like being there, but I don't trust anybody who hasn't been there because you don't understand hurt. And when you're there and in that place, you know what it's like? You sense the closeness of God. And I wanna cry out and say, God, just, I wanna sense that closeness in everyday happiness. It doesn't happen. Now, God is near all the time, but it's in that broken place that the scripture is fulfilled, that we, we, we sense and we feel that God is close to the broken heart, and He saves those who are crushed, and until you've been there, you'll, you'll never understand it or be able to explain it. I saw it. I saw it this week. Rob Dewey, who I will introduce to you in just a few minutes is the chaplain uh, for the police here in our community, an incredible guy. But uh, they were overwhelmed by the enormity of this situation and their responsibilities. And and so so, uh, some on our staff serve in the chaplaincy, but he needed more. And so he asked uh, myself and Joshua, Michael Morris, who is a part of the chaplaincy program, to come and hang with him during some of the responsibilities that he had to do. And one of those was a bond hearing uh, that some of you saw on TV and this would be the first time the families would see the killer. And so he wanted us to be there, to be there for the families and so I went. And I stood in the back of a tiny, tiny courtroom. Could only fit maybe 35 people, just crammed full. And it was crammed full, three to four members from each family And I stood in the back and I watched the goodness of the Lord in the face of unspeakable evil. I wondered, Frank, I was praying for the families there and, and and I wondered what their response would be when for the first time they're brought face to face through a video screen with the one that had taken the life of their loved ones. Would they cry out in anger, which they certainly had a right to do? Would there be overwhelming emotion? What would happen in that moment? And I literally wept as person after person stepped to the podium, looked him in the eyes, and said, I forgive you. (laughs) I watched as my friend, Tony Thompson, looked in the face of his wife's murderer and said, not only do I forgive you, but I challenge you to repent. And if you will repent, I guarantee you that your future will be better. But how can he do that? I watched, was overwhelmed as I heard a mother who had been in the room, who watched her son die, said to the killer, we welcomed you into our Bible study. We welcomed you. And I I, I thought about the significance of what she said in the context even of of the church as a whole, because if you know anything about the AME church, it was born out of an unwelcome spirit. It was born because people of the color of you and I said to people of color, you've got to be in the balcony and you can't pray when everybody else does. And they split off and they formed their own church because they were unwelcome. And here they sat in a Bible study on a Wednesday night, a killer amongst them, and they said, you are welcome. Here. That's the spirit I've felt in Charleston since I've been here for 27 years. From that group of people. When she said, We welcomed you. And yet she forgave him. As I looked around the courtroom, I thought, How could someone do this with such a wonderful group of people? I mean, there are a lot of good people, but these are salt of the earth. These are people that went to church on Wednesday night. Some of you go once or twice a month to Seacoast and you want a ribbon, you know? These are people who. I, I did. I looked around and I said, How? Based on the color of someone's skin, how can anybody do something like this? How could you? So I prayed. Before I spoke this weekend, this is going to be our prayer service. I, I thought we, we could have done our own. And I thought, no, I'm going to go to all the prayer services that are in town. And we're just going to make our whole weekend a prayer service. How about that? And I prayed and I said, God, give us more than sympathy. Sympathy is the ability to kind of feel for someone else. I, I, I want empathy. Empathy. I looked it up. Empathy is the capacity not just to feel, but to understand what another person is experiencing from within that other person's frame of reference. The capacity to place oneself in another's shoes. I want us to do that from a family point of view. I want us to do that from a racial point of view. I want us to do that from a people point of view. I want us to do listening. I want God That's what I've determined to do this week. It's called presence. I want to be where people are, and I want to listen. I don't have answers. I want to listen, and I want my heart to be changed fundamentally, and that's what I want for our church. And today, through our prayers, I want us to enter vicariously into the pain of those who are suffering among us. We will rejoice with those who rejoice, and we will mourn with those who mourn. You say, well, hopefully... The biggest part of it is is over. No, there's nine funerals this week. There's families that are just facing the beginning of a road of of grief and recovery. And so today, we wanna remember, and what I'd like to do is, I'd like for you to stand if you would. Everybody stand here and in the campuses. And I want us in a moment of reverence as Pat Erdley, one of our members, uh, comes, and she's going to read uh, the names of those who were murdered this week, and you're going to see their pictures on the screen. And and then I'm going to ask Josh he wood to come and lead us in prayer for these families.
2: The Honorable Reverend Clementa Pinckney. Cynthia Hurd. Susie Jackson. Ethel Lance, Reverend Depayne Middleton-Doctor, Tawanza Sanders, Reverend Daniel Simmons, Reverend Sharonda Singleton, Myra Thompson,
1: You know, uh, we've had the real privilege to um, spend some time this week with loved ones of these names that we just read and beautiful people, uh, incredible people. Um, And uh, so we want to just take some time to pray for them, to pray for the family members. Um, You know, a scripture came to mind, James 5, uh, verse 16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, the world has kind of marveled at the way that the city of Charleston has responded, at the way that uh, the family members have responded, and I think part of that is, is that Scripture, is the prayer that, that the city has come together and we've prayed. So, we're going to pray right now for those family members. I actually just got uh, a text from Chaplain Dewey. Uh, you know, AME, the Emmanuel Church is having services right now and their AC went out. And so, uh, you know, elderly church. And so we're going to pray for the AC to come back on in that church. Uh, we're also going to send a team down to help with uh, water. But, uh, but let's just take some time to pray. I want to give you a moment of, of just in, in our own places of, of kind of quiet to pray to our, uh, you know, by ourselves. And then I'll, I'll close us in prayer. So let's pray together. Father, as we reflect on these beautiful people who've lost their life this week, our hearts just cry out to you right now. God, we cry out to you for their family members, God, for children woke up today, Lord, uh, without a mom. Lord, for husbands that woke up today without a wife. God, our hearts just break for them, and I pray, Lord, uh, as you have already, it's so obviously that you've done it, but that you would be near, that your presence would be there, that you would draw near to the brokenhearted, Lord, that your presence would be what sustains them, Lord, through today, through this week, through, Lord, the rest of their lives. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding, God, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have walked through these circumstances, not by the strength of their own, but but on the strength of you. So, God, we pray. We pray for that church right now that's gathering together. We pray, Lord, for the air conditioning to work. God, we pray for the just continued protection of the individuals that are there, God. We pray for uh, just everybody involved. Lord, we, our hearts go out to them, and we just pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in their lives, Lord, in their stories, Lord, in our city. In Jesus name, Amen. You can be seated.
3: So we remember those who lost their lives this week, earthly lives. The second thing we do is we pause to give thanks for those who protect the freedom that we so often take for granted. First Thessalonians five and verse eighteen says, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ. We're to give thanks when things and times are good, when times are bad, because that's the way you survive something like this is that you give thanks. And um, we don't give thanks for the fact that nine people died we don't give thanks for this tragedy. It says give thanks in all things. And there are things in everything that we can find gratefulness and gratitude in. And one of those uh, things is to give thanks for those who serve us, who protect our freedom. I think of those of you uh, here in, who've done this and people around the world who protect our freedoms around the world. It's a dangerous world these days. And I thank God for those who serve in our military and, and government, and who protect us. I, I, I give thanks locally for those who have led us in this situation. I made a list. I'm thankful for a mayor, Joe Riley, who, who's leading us well during this time. I feel like he's a father to our city. I told him the other day, I know he's been mayor for 42 years, but why don't you just run again? You know I mean, whatever. <laughs> I thank God for a police chief, Greg Mullen, who's a member of our church, who has led us with determination and wisdom. I thank God for first responders who saw things and experienced things that none of us would ever want to see, policemen and sheriff officers and EMS and firemen and doctors and nurses, emergency room workers and chaplains those who were first on the scene. In fact, to explain that a little bit and how all that works, I want you to welcome uh, Rob Dewey as he comes. Michael Morris is going to come with him. Would you just welcome him as he comes and just sits down for just a minute? Thanks, Rob. You guys don't know Rob. We know him well. He is uh, heads-up coastal... Chaplaincy, uh, and uh, he is uh, not only does it well in RC; he's one of the best in the world. Uh, he was one of the first responders, helping first responders in 9/11. Uh, he trains chaplaincy programs all around the U.S. And uh, I just thank God for you, Robin, for for what you do. I don't like getting phone calls from you. Um, well, I do. Uh, he, he, Debbie was explaining he's called Debbie a couple of times couldn't get a hold of me and he always goes Debbie this is Rob Dewey and it's nothing bad that's what he says it's nothing bad because normally what you guys do is you're kind of the 9-11 you're there uh, tell us a little bit about what, what what your ministry is and what you guys do
4: I feel blessed to be able to be doing the ministry I'm doing um, it's uh, the the harvest is is white. There's a lot to be done, and uh, God bless our first responders—police, fire, EMS. You know, think about it—they're never called for anything that's good. It's always yucky. Uh, it's always life-changing uh, for the person they're going to be with. Uh, so some 25 years ago, the Lord put it on my heart to, to reach out to that group of people, the first responders, and uh, just kind of see if God might be uh, blessing something that might uh, work in a full-time nature, and just to kind of be there. I think Jesus would have a blast coming back, and no offense to the church, but getting outside the four walls of the church and being out there. Um, and I did, uh, I, I ask your forgiveness, sir, but I did text your son in the middle of the service. Uh, so I know that that's a sin in your religion. Uh, re- I can't uh, Seriously. But, yeah, seriously. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm sorry. Okay,
3: good.
4: No, but I did, I did get a, a text a few minutes ago, uh, from uh, some folks down at the AME Church, and I'm gonna leave right after this and head down there. Uh, So if there are about five or six or seven folks uh, that would be willing to go with me and hand out water, uh, that's what we've been requested to do. So I'm not gonna be able to find some of my chaplains that are trained in it, but if you can hand out water, um, I need a few folks to go with okay. me. We've already got the vest made up and stuff for identification. But it's, um, th- that's what we do is we go to homicides, suicides, when we're called and when we, uh, the first responders on scene, the police, feel like that we can be of help and try and hook them back into their uh, local congregation. And you all know that we're living in a less godly society. So... Uh, when we go, we're not always with uh, folks that are believers, but we can still go and care and have a ministry of presence.
3: And you're, you're a pastor. I mean, you're ordained by your bishop. You guys do this right here. I saw that.
4: Yeah, that's, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that comes uh, from overseas.
3: Okay, good. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> Ch- Church of England Church type of thing. Church of England, yeah. yeah.
3: right. Um, but you, uh, you you minister to the to the families, but you also minister to the, the first responders. What, what, is it, what does it do to someone's mindset who experiences all of this?
4: Well, and the first calling that we have is to be with the first responders. Uh, myself and Michael, who's one of our volunteer chaplains, we have about 19 volunteer chaplains and that are trained in critical incident stress management. So that's our first obligation. And then to be able to be with them in their times of need, uh, right now, everybody is so operational on this type of a situation that, um, if you go up to s- see one of the first responders right now and thank them, you know, it might be a little, um, gruff because a lot of people haven't gotten sleep yeah. in the last four or five days, but they appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is, uh, I think that we've become embedded, uh, as much as possible into a community that, uh it has a very high stress level. So we want, uh, from my theological view, that that Jesus can come in and meet that stress level, and that we wanna uh, love them in the name of the
3: Lord. Yeah, that's great. We appreciate what you do, we really do. Um, Michael, I'm gonna ask you to uh, pray, if you would, and uh, why don't you ask the people to stand when the time comes?
0: Yeah. In just a moment, we're going to have all of you that are in first responders to stand, but Pastor, I, I've got to share with you, being with you that day in that court, it, it marked me as well hearing those testimonies, and uh, one of the things I shared earlier, I was standing in a room, and I I stand by one of the deputy sheriffs and just trying to encourage him and love on him, and, and, I, and I just simply said, I, I want to thank you for what you do for us. And he, uh, he looked at me and said, thank you. And then he said something interesting. He said, uh, you know, I don't get to hear that that much. So I want to invite you all from this point forward to break into your thinking, to break into your comfort zone. And every time you see a first responder, whether it's a policeman, fireman, or EMS, I mean it from your heart, not just when they pull you over and give you that ticket or <clears throat> they're in tough situations with you, be willing to just speak to them and say, thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do, and pray for him. In fact, I believe this scripture comes to mind when we battle, and this helps me so much that I invite you to take it to heart. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says this, and I love it from the Amplified. It says, you will guard and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both his inclination and its character, is stayed on you, because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. At this time, may I invite all of those that are first responders, and from police to firemen to EMS, even in the, in the hospitals or emergency rooms, and also I want to invite all of our military, if you would, would you stand right now? And also your spouses too. Would you, honeys, would you stand with them? Everybody stand, would you stand? Yes, <clears throat> yes, yeah. thank you, thank you. Why don't we stand and give Nathaniel an ovation? Stand with me. Thank you. Yes. Thank him. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank the Lord. Wow. Well, let me pray. Father God, what an honor! What a blessing to come now and to lift Your holy name up, because You are a mighty Father, who loves us so. And so we come before you to cry out to you and ask for protection, for strength, for encouragement, for peace, for all of our first responders, for all of our military, for all of our government workers, for the spouses, Lord, that go through these difficult times, Father. And I pray your hand will be upon them. I pray you'll give them wisdom and discernment in their role. And Father, may they know they're not alone. We stand with them in this church, believing in them, trusting them, and loving on them. So as they go forth, may they have that confidence you, Father. I pray, too, for Chaplain Rob and his team. What a privilege and honor as they go forth. That They will do a mighty wall of our chaplains, Lord, and our pastors that have a hunger and a passion to reach out to our community. Continue to put your anointing hand upon them, and we bless them now, and we look forward to what you're going to do for each of us. we in to the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said together, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank amen. you. Amen.
3: Thank you. I understand Anybody. that. Okay, if anyone would like to go with Chaplain Rob, uh, if they could, if you could meet him outside, uh, we'll go and we'll serve uh, in time of need. That's that's kind of a great way to, not everybody, okay? (laughs) That's great, that's great. So we pause to remember those whose lives were lost. We pause to give thanks to those who serve. And thirdly, we pause to renew our faith in a Father God who is good. And this, honestly, is the toughest one. Um, we posted some things on Facebook at various times this week, and one of the first posts that I did talked about how we can respond immediately, and. And there were a lot of comments. And one of the comments had three words. Tragic, senseless, why? We all thought that. Others said, how do you pray to a God who allowed that to happen in a prayer meeting? And what it's, what it's basically saying is, you know what, either God isn't loving because if he was loving, he would have stopped this, Or maybe he is loving and he's just not all-powerful. Those are the only two options. Well, you know, in a time like this where you question those things, you've gotta turn to scripture. I've learned over time, and I have all of those questions, trust me. I've learned over time to question my questions I am not the, the center of morality for the universe. For me to take the higher ground on the God of creation is a little arrogant, to be honest with you. I do it every once in a while. And then I look to Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Because apparently I'm not seeing things clearly. The Scripture says that God is loving in all of His ways, and I've got to learn to trust that. Scriptures also show us that God has limited His power. He is all-powerful, but He has limited His power in order that we might experience love and freedom. You say, could God have created a world where evil didn't exist. Yeah, he could have done a couple of things. He could have just said, I'm going to take a pass on this whole deal and not create a world. Or he he could have created individuals with no capacity to disobey, to make choices, but they would not be able to love because love is a choice. And so I think that God knew that there would be a certain number of people who would, well, all of us, who would ultimately disobey and a certain number who would, turn themselves to evil. But he did it in order that we could have the capacity to choose love, to love one another and to love him. God's ultimate act of love was that he allowed his son to die so that we could have eternal life. And it's times like this The test our faith and the depths of our faith. Do we really believe it when we say, at a time like this, that our loved ones are in a better place? Most of us have buried a loved one. People say that to us, we say it at a service, we say it to each other, they're in a better place. Do you really believe that? Do you believe That there is an eternity of which what we live in right now is just a blip on the radar screen of forever. Do you believe that when a believer goes to sleep in God, they die, that they wake up into an eternity forever with him? Do you believe that? Because if we do, if eternity is real, it opens up more options than if God doesn't act on behalf of my loved ones, then he isn't loving or maybe he is powerless. It allows us to believe that he can and will work all things out for our good in a loving and powerful way. I love Romans 8 and verse 28. It says, and we know. We don't hope. We don't think. This is something that has to be at the bedrock of who we are. We know that in all things, God works. Now, let me, let me just say one thing that has upset me just a little bit this week, and I think it's innocent, but I hear it from time to time. I hear people saying things like, you know, the reason God did this, the reason God caused this is so that, and then they put some you know, wonderful response in there. I'm going, no, 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 no. My God didn't cause this. And certainly, don't go tell your kids that in the midst of tragedy that God caused it and that person's an angel and all that. No. God didn't cause this. This is from the pits of hell. This is evil. This isn't heaven. This is earth. Evil still exists. And times like this remind us of that. God didn't cause this. But in all things, even the evil things, God powerfully works it out for our good. He works in these situations. Uh, He says, for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. Not everything is good. Often it takes time for God's will to be worked out in it, but God will work for good. I wanted to give you an example of God working for good in a horrible situation. Uh, I want to welcome you to welcome fellow Seacoasters, Mike and Jean Malota. Would you welcome them as they come just for a minute and <laughs> share their story? Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you.
1: Thank, you.
3: Thank you. Mike, you guys have lived down here for a little bit. I think a couple of years ago, evil visited your town. Tell us.
0: Yes, thank you.
3: We are from Sandy Hook, Newtown, Connecticut, where the atrocity occurred of we lost 20 children, six teachers, including the principal, we lost a mother, and we lost a son. A gunman came into an elementary school. Gene, tell us where you were, how it impacted you guys.
2: Well, our son had just graduated San Hook Elementary School right before it happened, and it was, uh, he was in fifth grade at um, a school that... I have a bishop, too, and I go okay, like this as well. Right. And uh, so we were in a uh, private Catholic school, and I was in Mass. We had Friday morning Mass. I was there with every single student. It was K through 8, some teachers, and all of a sudden, uh, the priest said, we all of a sudden need to remain very quiet We are in a lockdown. And once the adults started realizing what was happening, we were getting texts. We realized that we were in a room with nowhere to go, a building that was full of glass with every single child in the school. And you could feel this unbelievable sense of fear and evil in our town. The shooting was literally up the road from where I was, and they thought that there was more than one shooter, and they thought that someone was coming to our school.
3: Um, your child had just graduated from that school, but mm-hmm. on their bus route, there were, what, 10? Yeah, there was 10 children
2: that was lost on his bus route.
3: And you had mm-hmm. neighbors. And... We
2: lost neighbors. Uh, we lost my son's favorite teacher, uh, friends. It was a very difficult time.
3: How? Did you see God work good even in an evil situation?
2: We went from being a town of fear and feeling this evil to all of a sudden this spirit came over the town and everyone started to be nicer and kinder to each other. There was a challenge that was brought to the town. Um, You had to do 26 random acts of kindness in honor of the 26 people who lost their lives that day. And all of a sudden, it just took off. And people you did not know were opening doors for you and putting gifts in your mailbox. We were doing the same for other people. We would be in a drive-through line getting a burger, and we would go to pay, and all of a sudden, the cashier would say, that person ahead of you took care of it. Hmm. And things like that were happening at Starbucks everywhere. And all of a sudden, we became strong and kind. And it was absolutely wonderful and life-changing. And I never thought anything like that could come of what had happened to us just a little way before.
3: We had to work through forgiveness.
2: We had to, um, we learned how to forgive. The, um, one of the fathers of one of the children who was killed, he was the first one to proclaim, I forgive the shooter. And it made everybody realize if he had the heart to forgive, we all had to
3: forgive. Mm. So what would you say to us, Charleston, this is your community now, how, what, what do we do?
2: To be very strong, we had a saying in our town, we are Newtown, we are strong. I would say to be Charleston strong and don't let that one person defeat you. Show kindness to everyone and choose love and show grace.
3: Because love always wins. It does. Thank you. Let's give our thanks. Thank you. One phrase. One phrase. I heard again and again and again this week. I heard it from the words of an AME bishop. I heard it on the screen of a CNN news anchor. I heard it from the lips of grieving families. Evil picked the wrong town. Hate never triumphs over evil. Love always Wins. Love always wins. I took a picture as I came out of the prayer service on Friday night. I posted it on Facebook. Here it is. And I just said, Proud to live in Charleston, where a prayer meeting can break out anywhere. (laughs) Pray for Charleston. Now, here's what I want you to notice about this picture it had one. Point four million people saw that picture almost 70 it's over 70,000 people liked it now and over a thousand comments and you say Greg is that kind of how you roll well not exactly Usually, when I post something on Facebook there may be a few hundred people see it and a few dozen likes and maybe a handful of comments and so, and, and, and so I asked God why is this happening? Another picture we posted had three and a half million views. Why? 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 I think it's because just like in David's prayer, the righteous are gathering about us, Charleston, because of the goodness of the Lord. See, a man tried to cause racial division, and a race riot, and he just may have sparked a revival. So let's stand, and I want to pray. God, we pray for those who have been impacted by this terrible act, we are grateful for those who lead us through times like this. And most of all, we reflect on the fact that you are good and that your mercy endures forever. Sometimes that's hard to see just during a snapshot, but as we look forward to the, to the whole picture, we trust you. God, I pray that you would use This I pray that you would change me from the inside out. I pray that you would spark revival in each one of us that would impact our community, which would change our state, which would change our nation, would impact the world as they look and they see that you are God. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.